Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Good afternoon, Ms. O'Toole. Hey there, Hollister. How are you? I'm okay. But before we get started, I just have to ask the wizard of all things around film a few questions. Ready? <laughs> I don't know if by that person you mean me. I'm yes, certainly not ready. Yes, it's all about you, but... girlfriend. Okay, so here's the thing. So Kingsman and American Maid, okay, between the two of them, they're in more than 7,000 theaters. Wow. Is that global or is that still no, just, just US? America? Okay. okay, I don't go global because it's too far to travel. <laughs> okay, okay, but get this. Okay, so Battle of the Sexes was in 1,200 theaters. Home Again was in 2,000 theaters. And Victorian Abdul was in 77 theaters. But I'm sure it must be targeted for more. <laughs> well, like it is supposed to open release. itself up. But let's look at, at Wind River, for example, that's been in 800 theaters versus 4,000 for Kingsman. You know, it. I realize more and more that it's all in the hands of the distributor. It's whoever has the largest control that's going to get the largest reach, which is going to get the largest number of people coming. That is definitely the case. It's a little bit like boxing promoters. And I think that's why there's such a ruckus around Netflix, because Netflix jeopardizes this whole monopoly system where if they can release something to be streamed immediately, the theaters get upset. They like their little monopoly. Well, they do. Now, Home Again, by the way, it's been out for 24 days, right? So it's it's hard to sort of gauge these things. But Kingsman took in $66 million. American Made took in $17 million, And Battle of the Sexes took in $4 million. And yet, Battle of the Sexes was in far more theaters than Brad's status, which we reviewed last week. Yeah. Well, you probably were happy with that, actually. <laughs> um, okay, I just wanted to start off by saying more and more I realized that like all things around the global sense of our lives these days, it really might not be about the film, you know? Mm-hmm. It's true. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that marketing budgets sometimes are almost as big as the production budget. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's all in the trailer is all I can tell you. <laughs> it's all in the trailer. And then also, we have to, I guess we have to apologize. We got a couple of emails this week. I'm going to read one. Let me start out by saying I say this completely out of love. Now, whenever someone says that, you know that the next one, the two of you need to kiss and make up. Are we mad at each other? I didn't think so. But maybe it's like the battle of the podcasters. I, know, I huh. guess, you know, dissent is a good thing. And, and I don't think it's a bad thing. And so, but I want you to know that I'm never mad at O'Toole. Actually, I don't think I've ever been mad, angry with you, although you have had reason to be angry with me. <laughs> but no, we're not mad at each other, but we're passionate about our point of view. Wouldn't you say that's true? I think that's true. Yes, but hopefully it's it's never a personal one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I don't even, I don't even think about her personally. <laughs> uh, that's not true. We're good friends. And no, I don't, you know, there's no anger here at all, though there is, it gets, it gets edgy, but so does any just discussion that borders on opposite opinions, don't you think? It's like oral argument. Oh, yeah. Well, Hollister, I hate to take down the niveau of our conversation already, but I just have to ask you this. You know how Hugh Hefner passed away last week, and some facts were coming to light about Hugh Hefner By that way, I had never heard. By the way, I can't believe heard. people were celebrating this man's life. I mean, no offense. Really? It was very interesting, yeah. the things coming out about. Again, you know, it's all in the packaging, but I did not know that he saved the Hollywood sign, not once, but twice. Wait, so so he should get credit for that? Well, I never knew that Hugh Hefner had anything to do with the Hollywood sign. Oh. Originally, it had spelled out Hollywood Land, and one of the fundraisers they had, they auctioned off those last four letters to try to help pay for it, to keep it. And it, would, it wouldn't be the same if Hollywood didn't have its sign. Again, these connections are yeah. sometimes just very surprising. Well, there they are. So any other news on your end? I have a bit of news that I thought would make you happy. Hopefully. I don't know. Did you see the big news that Bruce Springsteen is not going to be the only big act to hit Broadway? Uh, no, I didn't. Your beloved pretty woman is going to come to Broadway in 2018 as a musical. Well, you know, I'll be there opening night. I mean, come on. Well, I think so, because the book was done by Gary Marshall, who, of course, brought us the 1990 film. And I don't know where you stand on his music, but Brian Adams did an original score for it. Well, there you go. I uh, can't wait. Maybe we'll go together and we'll, and we'll actually review it. What do you think? I 
I think that's a great idea. Okay. I know. I can just see you humming along to Big Mistake. Okay, can we <laughs> start talking about lies soon? Liar, liar, pants on friggin' fire? I've got a couple more things. Okay, keep going. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about how the new streaming services, Hulu and Netflix, they've completely redefined the landscape of television and the Emmys. There is a new player on this front, and it is... Apple. Yeah. Have you been well, reading this? It surprises this? you why? <laughs> it does not surprise me at all. But again, very interesting. It could really spell the end of the networks. But Apple is still in contention for the Steven Spielberg, Jennifer Aniston movie that we talked about a while ago where they're teaming up with Reese Witherspoon. Uh-huh. But speaking of television, and to give a shout out to the networks, I don't know if you saw the first episode of this new season of This Is Us? You know, I don't give, do any spoilers. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I can't wait. But I'm also thinking maybe I'm going to wait for a few more to roll in before. I hate watching and then being dying for the next phase. You know what I mean? So did you watch it? Was it as wonderful as people said? I did. It is wonderful. And it's the episode is called A Father's Advice. The very beginning, so this is not a spoiler, they beautifully weave in a poem by one of my favorite characters on the show, Shakespeare, Ron Cephas Jones, who plays Sterling K. Brown's biological father on the show. He has written a poem about regrets and love, and they weave it in beautifully. And when the episode starts, you realize it's all of their birthdays again, which is the way it started in season one. Exactly, I thought, what a right? great yeah. way to hit that reset button and take us on this season two ride. I just love that show. The only thing that I think is a little bit bothersome is they st- he still hasn't died yet. And yet he's dead. So it's sort of like, okay, enough already. It's time. And just because they want him to continue to be on the show, and I get that. He's a great actor, and he really his part is so rich. They shouldn't have killed him off then. You know, that's their mistake. Your father wasn't perfect, but he was pretty damn close. Yes, well, see, it's the same thing that they did with the character of Shakespeare, William, the biological father. You know, I was so sad to see him die because I loved him. So when they brought him back via flashbacks, I think they've just done a wonderful job with the flashbacks. You know, Grey's Anatomy tried to do that, too. Remember when they kept bringing everybody back when people were dreaming or close Mm -hmm. to death? And I thought, "Mm, this is not working for me, Shonda. And much about Shonda does work for me. So I sort of gave her a little bit of a buy on that. But... Didn't didn't really love it. And I, I just think if you're dead, you're dead, you know? Well, see, I give them more leeway on that because it's been told via flashbacks yeah, no, from the very true. beginning. Yep. So that contract with the audience, I think, still holds. But, um, you know, these just are wonderful, wonderful characters. Good. I can't wait to catch up. Can't wait. Okay, and I have one last thing. I read this about Mike White, who wrote and directed Brad's Status that we discussed last week. And I just thought this was interesting little bit of trivia. Do you know who was the first person to get him interested in writing? This was his second grade teacher. So I know this is a random bit of trivia, but it was the mother of Sam Shepard. I didn't know that. That's really, I love Mm -hmm. that trivia. We all come from somewhere. We do, don't we? Okay, we all come from somewhere, and we lie our way to getting there, apparently. This is my segue. What do you think? Okay, all right, I'll go with it. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Hi. Hi. So Val, who uh, keeps in close communication with us, anyway, she's the one who suggested that we pick up Liar, which you picked up from Sundance, and I actually picked up on iTunes. It's a couple weeks ahead in England, and be careful if you start to look it up on Google or something, because there's lots of spoilers. So I now know who the guilty liar is. Oh. Right, but it's it's one of those TV shows that's so British in the way that it layers in the storyline with this underlying theme, and the underlying theme is we don't know who done it. And we don't know if she's lying or if he's lying at this point in time. And here's what I discovered about myself. I'm awful person. <laughs> what makes you say that, okay, Hollister? Well, first of all, I immediately think she's lying, or that not that she's lying exactly, but that she doesn't quite remember. And at the same time, the other thing we're going to be reviewing is Battle of the Sexes. And then I remembered when I was watching it in the sorority house at the Pi Beta Phi sorority house at the University of Lincoln, Nebraska. I didn't want her to win. Why not? Oh, well, we'll have to talk about it then. But I'm just like this 
awful person who doesn't support my own. And I just want you to know that I'm ashamed and I'm going to fix it immediately. And now let's talk about liar. Do you think you know who did it? Who do you think did it based on what you've, what you've seen so far? This is what I think is really wonderfully done. And having been an attorney, they always caution people, you know, you can't just pass judgment because if you introduce one more fact into a case, it can totally turn the case on its head. And I love Joanne Froggett, who of course was Anna on Downton Abbey. And she's doing a beautiful job. She really gets to show a lot of range. And Johan Griffith is the Welsh actor who plays the surgeon. And this show is really wonderfully done. Have you seen him in anything before this? I haven't. Um, He's been in some big stuff, but in Fifty Shades. (laughs) Just want you to know. I just want you to know he belongs in the group. Yep. I'm glad he's on okay, liar. Okay, finally but... found somebody. Well, you've been asking me for years who it should be. I'm telling you, he should have been great. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, it's only a six-episode series. And as Val pointed out, the Brits do that very yeah, well. They do. But, you know, the very first opening scenes of the pilot, they sucked me right in with the beautiful cinematography and the locales. That restaurant on the pier where they have their first momentous date. The camera work is really well done. Well, the, the big secret question, by the way, is did he rape her or didn't he? She says he raped her. He says he didn't. And you don't know for sure. And, but it's one of those things where somehow either you go back and forth. Now Val's not sure she's going back and forth and she thinks there's a lot of emotional scenes and that they're very, very believable. And she doesn't even know what she thinks when she's watching it, but she doesn't trust Andrew, who's the guy who's accused of rape. She doesn't trust his son. Mm -hmm. Um, Interestingly enough, though, I think that, yes, the cinematography is stunning, but rape has been around so often, so much, especially of late, of the last five years. What a new nuance take on it where if you recall in the newsroom there was the the toward the end of the last season of the newsroom there was a, a whole uh news program around rape and she accused somebody at Princeton of raping her and the Princeton guy said he didn't and Sorkin did a great presentation of how it's very difficult because rape is really hard to prove and if someone says they consented and the other one says I didn't it's very hard. It's my word against your word. And Sorkin did a great job of that. And here, and he did it in this unusual way that hadn't been seen before. And here we are again, where we don't know. And that is something new and different. And most rape movies or, or TV shows, it's very clear to you who did it or who didn't. And it's, um, I think it's really well done. Really, really well done. It's well woven in a way that's unique and unusual. And, you know, now I've watched the first two episodes, Uh and there hasn't really been any violence yet. So for a show about rape, they've really woven it again with flashbacks very well, where they both agree that the dinner went very well. They're having a romantic dinner. And the structure actually does remind me of The Affair, where in The Affair, you definitely have two different perspectives, but it's done in a much more overt way. But just when I think... I really know where I stand on a character. They'll introduce something. For example, I don't want to give away any plot spoilers, but the little twist there in the pilot with the sister, I didn't see that coming. So the characters are pretty complex. No, there's a lot of twists and turns, and there's a lot of stress in it. Um, But you're never bored with it, even though the stress is coming from the same origin in all of it. So far, out of two episodes, I'm not bored. And there's only six. Now, they promised that they're going to do everything you need to do so that there won't be trailers into season two, that this will be a full story in the sixth episode. So well done. Great, great, great suggestion, Val, to us to watch it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And it is brought to us by the same team that brought us The Missing. The only thing that I find a little unusual, I loved it in the pilot, is how their lives are interwoven. So she's the teacher of his son, and he's a surgeon who works with her sister. In a small town, but, yeah. Which could in happen. a small town. But even mm-hmm. after the rape claim is filed with the police, he's still working with the sister, and she's still teaching his son. And I, I found that a little odd. Why you think the school would... I don't think they can do anything until it's finalized. They can't take an action. But you know what? That hospital administrator, I'm not sure they should be scheduling him to work with her sister. And I think the school 
you know, there, there could have been a workaround there. Yeah. I don't know. Especially I the know. day after. I, but it, it, what if it, if it, if there is something there, it's certainly minor, you know, um, it's well woven. Agreed. Yeah. Well, woven. Yep. the acting is superb. I know. It really Unbelievable, is. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we move into the Robert Redford, Jane Fonda, our souls at night. When are we going to town? Have lunch? Sounds fine to me. Maybe I'll wear something bright and flashy. Based on the 2015 novel by Kent Harriff. I I'm actually put this one on the table and said, hey, can we take a quick look at this? Because I started to read a bunch of stuff that came out on it. And I want to start out by saying I have attacked Jane Fonda and many other women saying, why can't you look your age? There's nothing wrong with it. Last year, I had plastic surgery, and I have been very public about it. I had bags removed from under my eyes and, you know, some waddles taken out from under my chin. And I'll tell you why I did it. I, you know, I feel so good. And I would walk by a store window and catch a sight of myself, and it would like, oh, who's that? You were surprised. I, yeah. I don't feel like that person in that reflection looks like. <sighs> and I decided that I wanted to look more like how I feel. And, you know, if I wasn't an actress, maybe I wouldn't do it, but I wanted to get back into the business. You know, I quit the business for 15 years, 10 to be with Ted Turner and 5 to write my memoirs, and now I'm getting back into movies, and I want to buy myself a little time. So I did it, and I'm not proud of it. You know, I, I really admire Vanessa Redgrave, my, my dear friend, who has this great face, One who also is, face. you know, gives... gives, gives a wants to bring the face of aging into the culture, and she does it so beautifully. I'm not quite that brave. And I I grew up, I was really, the messages I received growing up was, if you're not perfect, you won't be loved. And while I've overcome that maybe 85%, I still, that lingers. You know, I, I do worry about how I look too much, I think. She never looked more beautiful when they made her older for this part. And she's actually... Um, a little younger than she is in real life in this role, but they had to add lines to her because she's had them all taken away. She's never looked more beautiful. Would you agree? <laughs> I had to, that was kind of a little, a little hurdle for me because she is in such spectacular shape as was the character in the book. But I realized I'd never seen Jane Fonda with gray hair before. And so when I first saw her with the gray hair, I thought, who is she reminding me of? And then it came to me, she reminded me of Betty Garrett, who I think was the landlady on Laverne and Shirley. She played Edna Babish. (laughs) And so I had to go to IMDb and look up a photo of her to see if my memory served me correctly. And this was another little fun tidbit. Betty Garrett is the godmother of Jeff Bridges. Well, there you go. Who has starred in movies with Jane Fonda. So, you know, for someone who's about to turn 80, I thought Jane Fonda looked spectacular. She, she just looked absolutely her age and lovely. And I also decided that Robert Redford is so comfortable being alone, you know, I mean, and, and not just recently, but through his entire career. So all is lost the way we were, horse whisper, loner, 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 loner. And here he is, sort of this lonely man in a town who's, you know, who who goes into the diner to meet with his cronies for coffee, but really lives a lot by himself. And he's so comfortable in that role that you just can see that when he gets with her, it's harder for him to play with her than it is for him to be by himself. And that juxtaposition of those feelings inside of a guy who like that is so beautifully done. It's really one of his finer roles. What I think is interesting about this film is that a woman drives the action. And were it not for her, were it not for her to come and push the envelope, so to speak, he would probably just rot away. And then you watch this relationship, a non-conformist relationship, bloom in what I thought was a killer, heartfelt way that broke my heart a million times in a million pieces, but also filled it with hope that people can meet somebody later in life and have a fulfilling relationship with that person. It is so hopeful. It's such a sweet, wonderful film. You know, Hollister... I agree. It's very true to the book, and I really enjoyed the audiobook. And I want to play just a, a brief clip here of the very beginning, where she does come over their next-door neighbors with this very unique proposition. 
I want to suggest something to you. Oh? Yes. A kind of proposal. Okay. Not marriage, she said. I didn't think that either. But it's a kind of marriage-like question. But I don't know if I can now. I'm getting cold feet. She laughed a little. It's about getting through the night. I think I could sleep again if, if there was somebody next to me, you know, someone nice. When they cast Jane Fonda and Robert Redford, I thought it's as though these two characters were made for them. So I started thinking of this movie as indecent, decent proposal, you know, where she's... It's indecent proposal, you mean? Well, he starred, of course, in indecent yeah. proposal, but there's something about her proposal that makes it very decent. So it's a strange proposition, but somehow it's just so woven in with neighborly kindness and substance, and they form a relationship without judgment from the inside of that relationship, even though, ironically, they're being judged by everyone else. Well, the town, their kids. It's so funny because there's so many parts in this film that are so true to people of my generation who are aging and coming to this moment in time when, A, you don't care what anybody thinks anymore, and she's much stronger in her position of, I don't care what anybody thinks, let's just do what we want to do. There's a moment, there's not a lot of humor in it, although there is. It's sort of finely tuned humor that's a bit under the surface but at one point she says don't come to the back door anymore come in the front door i don't want anybody to think anything bad you know it is people talk <laughs> and he's like well i really want to protect you and she's like just come in the front door he goes to the back door she shuts the curtains and locks the door <laughs> in a way that mm -hmm. is so clever and cute and he sort of turns around and you know methodically walks to the front door very uncomfortable in that position I love the way she runs the show a bit, and I love that it was it was Jane Fonda that approached him rather than the other way around. It's so true. Even that scene yeah. where it's the first night they're going to spend together, and he's sitting on the edge of the bed, when she looks at him and just says, you getting in? Like, it was so <laughs> she, forthright That girl blunt. was in control, and I love that about it. It was you know, absolutely charming. It's perfect charming. for Jane Fonda, and yeah. I loved their dynamic together. And again, you know, it's supposed to take place out west. Kent Harriff sets all his novels. He's no longer with us. He did set all his novels in Colorado in the same town. But, you know, Robert Redford's had such a history with starting the Sundance Film Festival and riding Route 66 on his horse. You well, know, he's, he's very perfect for this. Pickup. There's no question about you it. You know, I loved that when they went camping together. And it, they were very believable. And then we have little Lane Armitage, who is plays this her grandson who shows up and spends time with them, and they all bond as a trio, actually. And, you know, the kid is like, Five years old. Okay, that's an exaggeration. Maybe he's eight, but he's been in this year alone, Little Big Lies, The Glass Castle, and now this. And he's absolutely spectacular, but he is playing pretty much the same role in all three. And you know what else he's in? What? It's something you mentioned recently, a spinoff, The Young Sheldon. How about we lose the bow tie? Why? Look around, honey. No one else is wearing one. Perhaps I'll start a fad. Oh. Oh, is that him? That's him. Oh, my gosh. Then you know what? Then he's much better than I thought because young Sheldon is a totally different role than these roles. And, you know, he was Ziggy in Big Little Lies. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's this is the third thing we've reviewed that he's been in. And look at how young he is. He, he's like, okay, he's eight, maybe nine. You know, in fact, <laughs> I went and looked him up on IMDb because I wanted to find out how old he was. And they don't even have his age. He's so young. It's not in there. And <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh thinking... You know, gosh, this kid has had amazing opportunities. Now, his parents are in the industry, so it's not surprising, but nonetheless. Mm -hmm. You know who I thought was very good in this was Matthias Schoenetz, who we talked about in A Bigger Splash. Mm. He conveyed a lot of emotion. Every now and then, I'm thinking, okay, he does sound Belgian, yeah. which he is. Yeah, he, didn't sound, he doesn't sound American. You know, he doesn't. Yeah. yeah his American no, accent is not quite right. But his emoting was very good. And he's going to be in an upcoming movie where you posted recently one of your Tuesday trailers. He's going to be in Red Sparrow uh, with Jennifer Lawrence. Which I cannot Lawrence. wait to see. Mm -hmm. Now, I did I mean, feel that, that the ending was awkward and sort of forced. You know, everything, me you were meandering along at this sort of slow canter. And then it's like, oh, there's home, the home stretch. We're going to sort of not spend the same time and effort 
on their very last, you know, couple of scenes that I think they warranted, you know. So I did think well, the, the ending book... lacked a little bit. But also, you know, Netflix, you are amazing. But this movie was not on my Netflix recommendations. Your algorithms are off Netflix. I'm going to tell you one more time. Alistair, maybe it's like your Uber rating. <laughs> because oh, you, you know, you're, I remember. See, you know what she, it, it, what they're writing about you is true. You don't like me. <laughs> You're going to bring well, up no, Uber ratings now? My Uber well, rating, it, besides, has probably well, gotten much no, better because I, I don't just use Uber say this anymore. Because I brought up this film back in August when they premiered it at the Venice Film Festival when they gave both Robert Redford and Jane Fonda Lifetime Achievement Awards. And this is their fourth film together. And this is one of those things I just couldn't judge because I've so enjoyed her and I've so enjoyed him mm-hmm. and I've so enjoyed their work together. Yeah. I, I kept thinking, I wonder how this movie would have struck me if I didn't know who either actor was. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a, there's a couple of scenes where they walk down the street together, but we see them from behind. Mm-hmm. God, they're good at it. <laughs> you know, it's like, and Robert Redford can walk down the street in a way that no one else can. No question. Some things we can't fix. What should we do about it? We could try talking. What do you think about that? Oh, I think that's a good idea. Never know what it might lead to. And his walk was different than A Walk in the Woods, which I enjoyed yeah. with Robert Redford and Nick Nolte. Yeah. So I couldn't tell how much they were plain old. I mean, Robert Redford is now 81, but somehow they'll never be old to me. You know, you did, a, you did Barefoot in the Park mm-hmm. 50 years ago. 50? 50 years ago. I mean, oh, I'm still standing. You're still standing. I know that I've mentioned to you before, but a while ago when I was at a film festival in Albuquerque, he came in and he still had bodyguards. And at first I thought, okay, I wonder if this is excessive. He walked out on the stage and there were women in the audience that could not stop screaming his name. Well, no wonder he went to that's live in the be, wild, yeah. Right? I mean, that's got to be so bizarre to just spend your entire life with people shouting your name. You know, I used to see him in the lobby of my building all the time, same apartment building. And Really? Uh-huh, you know, he, he was perfectly charming and nice. And he had no bodyguards and he was very unassuming and... Then he moved out west because he wasn't very fond of New Yorkers. But, um, you know, I, I think that the man is a man who has lived his life his own way, almost like a Harrison Ford kind of approach where I am who I am. This is how I'm going to play it. If they want me, great. If not, I'm, I'm good with that, you know, so... Uh, but I put this well, at the there, top of the list. I think he did a great job in it. Well, there was that scene where the two of them are in bed, and she's like, you know, tell me something about yourself. Tell me a secret. And he says, I wanted to be a painter. And I sailed to Europe, and I yeah, had it all mapped true. out. Yeah, exactly. It was all true. So yeah. I, I thought, I wonder if the director just said, okay, let's do a little improv. Well, he actually was a painter on his way yes. from, New York, from Europe yeah. to New York, and someone on the boat mm-hmm. said, you need to be on screen because people can't take their eyes off you. And that's how he became an actor. Yeah. And he said he always felt guilty about turning his back on art. So when he started directing, he always did his own storyboards because he got to draw again. But the director is Rita Shbatra, who brought us The Lunchbox in 2013, which was a movie I really enjoyed. It was set in Mumbai. The food was very salty today. Yeah. No, thank you. No, namaste. And I was curious, Hollister, if you ever saw Rita Spatra's other movie. He also directed The Sense of an Ending no, I did based not. on the Julian Barnes I saw novel. It. I saw it when I went to look him up, and I didn't see it, but I, I have put it on my list to take a look. Yeah. This is not to be missed. Netflix, well done, top of the heap. And now we're going to move into Battle of the Sexes, which is the Billie Jean King story when she played against the Creepola. Hello? Eureka, Billie Jean! It's Bobby, Bobby Riggs. Listen, I had a great idea. Male chauvinist pig versus hairy-like feminist. No offense. You're still a feminist, right? I'm a tennis player who happens to be a woman. Go hang up. And by the way, I shaved my legs. I went to see it yesterday with a friend who in real life was hit on not just once, but twice by Bobby Riggs. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. I remember the event pretty clearly. And I remember when she came out on to play. Now, keep in mind, I played competitive tennis in college. I mean, I, I played tennis. And I you just... once warmed up Chrissy Everett. I warmed up Chrissy Everett before the U.S. Open in, at Town Tennis in New York City. I did. And, That's big but time, But here's Hollister. the thing. We didn't like her. We didn't like... Billie Jean King. We thought she was manly and unattractive and 
I didn't, you know, I mean, I liked the way Chrissy Everett hit the ball with her left hand stuck out in this gentle way. <laughs> I <sighs> did not want her to win. And I didn't even understand why they were playing it. And yes, I went to the University of Nebraska, which is not exactly a haven for feminism. <laughs> but I'm so ashamed because I don't think this film is worth your time, but certainly the documentary that I watched to lead up to it, that HBO did, the pressure on this woman to be a closeted um, lesbian, to uh, have all the pressure of walking away from any money to try to make sure that money was fair, which how could I not have been for that? Word is you are a renegade. Women should be paid and respected equally. I admire what you guys are doing. You're offering the men's winner eight times what you're offering the women's winner. The men are simply more exciting to watch. It's just biology. (laughs) I'm shocked, absolutely shocked at myself. And then I did see in this film that I just didn't think it was well done. Did you? Billie Jean King was before my time, and I haven't yet seen the documentary that you recommended. So... Purely for informational purposes, I enjoyed it on that level. I didn't realize that Bobby Riggs had first played Margaret Court. I didn't know the name Margaret Court. I didn't know that she was the number one ranked player and a mother at the same time. I'm like, that's impressive. That's actually one of the things that's not true in the film is she didn't beat Billie Jean King in the U.S. Open that year. Billie Jean King won the Open that year. I don't know why they did that. They didn't need to. I don't know why they did. But um, she was you know, clearly not on the feminist point of view, but there were two, two different groups of people um, in women's tennis back then. There was the Billie Jean King crowd that started their own tennis um, league, you know, sponsored by, uh, you know, the cigarette company. Virginia Slims, <laughs> how funny right? is that? that? Yeah. It's kind of like Budweiser right. being but such now, a big sponsor mind, of sporting events, you know, too. I, I knew a bunch of the men in tennis during that time. My father owned a hotel, and the um, the touring pro for the hotel was Arthur Ashe and also Tom Ocker. And so there was Donald Dell and, and Kramer and all those people. I mean, I had dinner with them at my dad's hotel, and... If I knew then what I know now, I would have said to them, I'm not having dinner with them. And not only that, you can't give them any money, (laughs) my father. I mean, these guys were out to suppress rather than impress with anything. And, you know, I thought she made her points beautifully. What did you think of of Emma playing the role? I thought she did a great job with the body language. And, you know, she'll still always have the Emma Stone eyes. So that part you can put on the Billie Jean King glasses and you're still, you know, I thought it was transformative, but you know, you still look a little bit like Emma Stone. Whereas when they showed the real footage of Bobby Riggs at the end, I thought Steve Carell looked uh, just Carell like him. Carell was great. Wasn't he great? <laughs> that he guy, put, really a, you know, put a different nose on him and he can do anything. I am not saying that women don't belong on the court. Who would pick up the balls otherwise? Oh my God. I mean, he made someone you could have really demonized seem likable. He added complexity to the character. And of course, it was almost like two different tones because you're dealing with two such different characters. You know what's funny about it, though, is Emma Stone, if you look at Billie Jean King's body during that time, she was thicker, much thicker than Emma Stone. And it's funny because a man playing that role, when you look at the men who have played boxers, they've beefed up and they've gone on those two-month whatevers to make themselves that. Emma didn't do that. And I think she should have if she was going to play the role because she was way too, her body was way too soft rather than muscular and strong and masculine, which, you know, Billie Jean King's body was amazing, but it was built, you know, and, you know, I I think she should have, if she was going to play the role, she should have done the work to get there. See, I really like the fact that she matched her tennis double so well because I am always hesitant to watch movies about athletes because (laughs) actors master so many skills and crafts to play their roles, from ventriloquism to sign language, etc. And, you know, we've discussed before, there's quite a few movies out there where the actor's called upon to shoot a basketball or hit a tennis ball. And, you know, when you get someone like Taya Leone on Madam Secretary, she stands out where you're like, wow, she really is an athlete. And I thought they did a wonderful job of cutting between the doubles. So Yeah, but she was but Billie Jean King's masculinity was part of who she was. And without it, you can't really see how she presented herself back then. I mean, I saw her in many a tournament. I saw her in person. I saw her play at Forest Hills in the US Open. And 
she didn't look like she looked. You know, she she was way she was very masculine, almost like a Martina Navratilova. And to if you had somebody play Martina Navratilova, who was soft and 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 thin and you know without the muscle tone that that Billie Jean King had, you miss who she was. And I, I think that's a problem. For me, because I'm not attached to the real Billie Jean King footage, I really felt like Emma Stone captured her essence in terms of how she comported her body, the haircut, yeah, the no, walk, she didn't. If you, the hunched shoulders. If you saw her in real life, she couldn't without the the thickness of of the of how she walked. You know, so Emma Stone's walking purposefully fast. Billie Jean Jean King, you know, thundered down the road and. And so, you know, I'm not sure, you know, when you say you, you she was able to capture the essence, but if you haven't seen her, then maybe you just didn't know that you missed the essence because, yeah, because well, it isn't. It's not how Billie Jean King walked and it wasn't how she talked and it was much more, it was just thicker. I don't know how else to describe it. And she was too pretty. She was well, too pretty to play the role. I didn't feel that way. I know they've given a lot of interviews together, and Billie Jean King, either she's incredibly gracious or authentic or both, but she's very happy with the portrayal. Every time I see it, I'm just in awe of each of the actors and what they brought to it. It was just so authentic and so real and accurate. Emma Stone said it was the first time she ever played a real person, yeah. so that was a little daunting. But she said Billie Jean King gave her a wonderful note. Immediately when we met, she said you like to dance well the tennis court is my stage you know what it feels like to be on stage and to perform in those moments that you're on the court everything else is gone all the struggles of your life all the any any pain you're going through anything is gone and you are it's just between you and you just watch the ball and that simplification of something that obviously is so complex and difficult um was immensely helpful so I just tried to take it one day at a time and, and genuinely keep my eye on the ball in any moment <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> they practiced together. Emma Stone said she was basically a golden retriever, like Billie Jean King just threw balls at her and she caught them. Oh. Emma Stone said an advantage was that she is the same age that Billie Jean King was then. And so she could relate to a lot of the things that Billie Jean King was thinking about in terms of where do I want to bring my life and to whom am I responsible? Yeah, well, I'm sure I'm sure that's true. I mean, I certainly I could see her focus, but I, you know, Having seen her in person back then and Emma now, it wasn't the same person on the screen. So, Well, let me ask you something else about whether or not you felt like this was true. You know, here it is set in the 1970s, not my strongest decade. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion about sexism and equal rights. It seemed that there were some very supportive husbands in this movie. And do you think they were really that supportive? I mean, was Billie Jean King and Margaret Court, were they just married to great guys that iced their knees and looked after the baby? I didn't know those men, but I can tell you as a woman back then, I wasn't interested in what those women wanted. I didn't care that you know there wasn't equality in gender issues. I, it just didn't bother me. And it did much later, you know, 10 or 15 years later, you know, I mean, I was marching to Washington, but um, around Anita Hill, which is really when I began to realize how crazy the world is around women. But once I saw the documentary and I saw how hard she fought under such great pressure that we didn't even know she was under, you know, so it never occurred to me that she was terrified about so many things when I saw her carried out onto the court uh, in Houston for for the big event. 40 million people are watching. Any last word? I'm done talking. Let's play. It was the most watched televised sports event of all time. Know, amazing, right? I loved that line where they said Bobby Riggs really put the show back into chauvinism <laughs> because the movie version, as portrayed by Steve Carell, you do kind of wonder, did he even buy into the chauvinism or was he just so good at selling he, You know, the one thing they don't show is show. he'd done a bunch of other stuff also. You know, he had, I forget, was it another kind of sport event? I mean, we knew who he was because he was sort of that turkey, you know. And I never knew that she was playing because she was concerned about Margaret Court having lost and what it was doing to, you know, the male point of view around women's tennis, you know. And I was a member of the Tennis Association, so 
I just didn't realize what was at stake. And I'm just grateful to her. I'm grateful to all of them because they gave up a lot to do it. And I didn't know that John McEnroe apparently has wanted to play Serena Williams yeah, for well, years. The comments that he made recently, I don't even want to talk about him, you know. Oh, yeah, he, I missed he, the you know, comments. Wasn't, it's not you worth know, going into, but he, he was very detrimental to about you know about Serena in terms of how she could play up, you know, how she would stack against some men. Uh, it was, again, he got great headlines for it, but maybe that was the point. I don't know. You know, what I will say about the movie is it could have been shorter. Oh, so it was the exact same runtime as Mother. And I know you cut movies off at a certain runtime, but this one went over two hours. It was two hours and one minute. Yeah, it was too long. The directing team, Valerie Ferris and Jonathan Dayton, this is at least their third collaboration. They did Little Miss Sunshine and Ruby Sparks. Right. And it was written by Simon Befoy, who did Slumdog Millionaire. But the other thing is, you look at how many real stories are being told this year on film. A lot, O'Toole, a lot. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I really yeah. like that our lives are worth telling. You know, it's fabulous. I have to say, though, I think the camera work in this was excellent. They made some really good use of close-ups. And the special effects, for example, when they show one of the actors superimposed into the actual Howard Cosell footage inside a TV set that someone's watching. I couldn't help but think, you know how there's so many special effects nowadays in movies that a lot of actors have to act opposite Uh a tennis ball. (laughs) They look at the tennis ball and emote to that, and then they splice in, you know, the 3D footage later. I thought, I wonder how many of these characters had to act opposite tennis balls in a movie about tennis. And of course, I had to sit through the credits, which were yellow, like a tennis ball, and they had a tennis choreographer. And I thought, of course they did. It's as important to this movie as a sword fighting scene or, you know, a fist fight. And you know who I fell in love with? Sarah Silverman? No. I'll never fall in love with her, but go on. <laughs> um, Alan Cumming? Yeah. I love Alan Cumming. I love him in everything he's ever done. I loved him on Graham Norton when he tells the Oprah story. If you haven't seen it, you must see it. And I just, I thought he was so good in this. And also he was playing, you know, Ted Tinling and a difficult role, but also the the gay community at that time, the male gay community, they were coming out, but only in this really, really big, I'm very, very gay way, but it was a very painful time. And I thought there's this one interaction between um, Billie Jean King and him that was so poignant and so beautiful and so well-placed in terms of the time in which it was like, okay, a lot of people are going to get hurt here, could get hurt. You know, the stakes are much higher. It's just, it, it sort of brings to life to people who didn't live through that time. that This was the cusp when everything changed. And I thought he did an amazing job. And Bill Pullman playing Jack Kramer. Business, sports, you name it. The very top, it's a man's world. And Alan Cumming playing the clothier. I thought that was so interesting when you realized that was the first time women ever wore a color as opposed to tennis whites. <laughs> well, no, but it wasn't women. Men didn't either. There were no, there were, you mm-hmm. had to wear white on the tennis court or you couldn't play. I know. In some ways, I always feel like stuff like this was a thousand years ago. And then in it other wasn't. ways, I think it was yeah. yesterday. Yeah. Well, you I know. mean, I never, I had tennis whites until probably the 80s. If you're wearing these bright, bold colors, it's disturbing to the other player because they're trying to follow the ball and it takes your eye away from the ball that's one of the reasons you wear whites. And the other reason is because it's in the heat, white does not attract the sun. And so the, you know, there are two legitimate reasons for whites being, um, being used. So it wasn't totally just out of snobberism or anything. It really was for, for real reasons. Mm-hmm. What about Elizabeth Shue? I had not seen in a million years when she appeared playing Bobby Riggs' wife, who in real life he I know, remarried. It's funny, yeah. And you just kept thinking, you can do better, girlfriend. <laughs> you know, like... You know, there were some moments like that where I thought, okay, I think there were some opportunities where they could have added more to the characters or Uh shown some real emotion because I did have some questions. You know, for example, in their breakup scene, he just stands up, walks out and says goodbye. (laughs) You know, there's no glance back. There's no, I mean, of course, in real life, they got remarried. Well, I think she had given him the old kind of ultimatum that he knew it was over, you know, it was done. But But, but but they did get back together. By the way, in real life, they they did did get back together. Yeah, They did. But that scene, it was like a very abrupt exit. Mm -hmm. And I haven't been a Sarah Silverman fan. I thought she was very good in this. There's not a single thing I don't hate about Bobby Riggs. She was in a lot of the first half of the movie and then she kind of disappears 
And so it wasn't like too much of a dose of her character, but I thought with her cigarette and the glasses and the wig, she really pulled off that character. Right. Well, and actually Marilyn Bennett actually took uh, Billie Jean King down. So, Billie Jean, what do you want? Marilyn Bennett sued her in, I think it was 1980. She made her come out when she wasn't ready yet. She sued her and said she owed her palimony for all those years of being together. And she outed her not only as an adulteress from her husband, but also as a gay woman. And um, that was when Billie Jean King, she still hadn't told her parents. You know, it was a difficult, different time then. But Marilyn Barnett turned out to be a real creep, and that doesn't show up in the movie. Whatever I may feel, I can't act on it. There's too much at stake. The tennis scenes, from my perspective, were almost like a B, B player. You know, you, you if you hit the ball deep, you hit it close to the baseline. Every single shot was right at the service line. And, you know, that those were not good tennis players. But then I went back and looked up some footage. And, you know, tennis was very different then. The rackets were different then. So the rackets didn't have the power they have now. So you never got the speed that you that you get now. And you never got the top spin that you get now. So... Um, so it was, you know, it was a very different time for sure. You know, one scene that I did find moving was after this whole spectacle, they splice between Emma Stone alone in her locker room and Steve Carell alone in his locker room. Uh-huh. And it really reminded me of Andre Agassi's memoir, Open, which I really enjoyed, where he said that for him, tennis was always too lonely. He always wanted to do a team sport. And when I saw that, I thought, it's true. You're like two gladiators. It is a lonely sport from that perspective. Right. No, true. Very true. So I'm not hearing whether you'd recommend. I don't recommend it. I recommend the documentary on HBO. Do you recommend it? Well, I haven't seen the documentary and I had low expectations. So I do think it could have been shorter. There could have been moments with more emotion, Mm -hmm. but I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And I definitely learned things about the era that I, I just didn't know. Right. Well, and I, I thought the acting was very good and I did enjoy the camera work. And again, if Billie Jean King's happy, I'm happy. They really captured the essence of that time and and Emma captured what I was feeling so well. I mean, it's frightening that somebody can do that. Uh, it was really eerie, actually. Um, I'm just excited for everyone. Uh, and I hope this movie is relevant. I hope it helps... Um, younger people to know the story, but more importantly, what are we going to do with now and the future? And I hope it'll help um, everyone in some way. And I hope if even one person becomes more comfortable in their own skin, so we can all be our authentic self is really important. It all, it really speaks loudly to that. (laughs) Well, she's also a people pleaser. I'm not sure she would say if she wasn't happy. So I'm not sure she would say to Emma, "You, you know, you should have beefed up girlfriend. I mean, I'm not sure she would have said that even if she thought it. Yeah. And yet, yeah. I don't know. I think that's asking a bit much of actors too. Yeah. Um, I know you're absolutely right. Like why should they put their physical body through it? But you know, certainly men have done it for the same visual need. And I think there was a visual need to have a more athletically built woman playing the role. So if Emma didn't want to do it, it should have been somebody else. Okay, so we need to move on, though, to our list of six this week, which is all about liars, liars, pants on fires, right? (laughs) Yes, so Hollister, you came up with this idea, and I was totally game. The best lies ever told on the big or small screen. Right. Now, I got confused because part of me thought... Should they be lies that we didn't figure out till the end? And it was like, oh, my God, what a great job. Or could they just be lies that people in the movie didn't know? So I did a little bit of both. We don't have okay. a line judge. Okay, I'm going st- to start with Michael Corleone, who lied to his sister about having her husband murdered right after he stood in as the godfather to the child. And the way he lied to her, it was chilling. It was frighteningly chilling. Wow, Halster, you've set the bar very high here. Okay, right where are you shoot. going with it? Yes. Okay, I'm going to start with Mad Men and the fact huh. that John Hamm, that his character Don Draper, has assumed the real Don Draper's identity. That's a brilliant, brilliant thank choice. You. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Maybe I one. should just pack it in right yeah, here. Yeah, you can just pack it in on that one, girlfriend, for sure. What made you pick that one, though? Well, I was thinking, okay, the whole series rests on this lie. It's a false identity. I went for scope. Okay, I'm going to move to Primal Fear. Oh, I loved that movie. Yeah, Edward Norton, I believed him. I believed that his multiple personality disorder until the very end. 
And then the funny thing about it was you didn't suspect there was anything going wrong because there were so many ups and downs around his lawyer. It just kept you distracted from what was clearly the truth. So I thought it was especially brilliant the way they did it because you really could have figured it out if you'd thought it through. But they just distracted me the entire time. That is a fantastic choice. Oh, yay. Yep. As my sister calls that movie, Primal Gear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Richard Gere, a good role for him, don't you think? Yes, very good. I don't know that they're going to be turning that one into a musical. Mm. Okay, I'm going to move to The Contender, the 2000 movie with Joan Allen starring as a senator and Jeff Bridges. You understand that you are under oath. Yes, I understand that between the two of us, I'm the one that's under oath. This is one of those movies where at the very end, I thought the payoff was worth it. Excellent choice. And I'm going to wrap up this one with Dexter. Oh, this the <laughs> TV show about the serial killer? Uh-huh. Well, of course, you know, if I can find a serial killer in any of our lists of six, you know I'm going to do it. So, but here's the thing. He was a brilliant liar and such a nice guy. Nobody would have ever suspected him ever, ever, ever. And also, we liked him. We, you know, we weren't even angry with him for being a serial killer because somehow he was so damn likable and the people he killed were bad people. So, you know, I thought Dexter was a good choice. Living a lie. Okay, I'm going to end with the German film Lives of Others. Remember the poster where it's got that Stasi officer and he's wearing the headset and his olive green or gray jacket and he's listening in on the apartment of a couple. Right. The lie that I thought was such a brilliant plot point. I don't want to get too complicated, right. but it leads them to assume that their house is not bugged. So he was trying to spare them, and instead he ends up jeopardizing their lives. And I thought, what a brilliant thing in that movie that every single plot point had a consequence, including that lie that was really supposed to be a white lie to help them right. out. Good one, good one. So I like this list of six. I thought it was fun. I love this list of six. Yeah, because yeah. when you first brought it up, I thought, huh, I don't know that I could just come up with three. And it really made me think. Right. Well, if anybody has lists of six they want us to consider, send them to comments at screenthoughts.net and we'll take a look at them. Perfect. Okay. And by the way, I'll be seeing you in just a day while we do the Hampton Film Festival. You want to give anybody previews of some of the stuff we're going to see? I'm very excited about it. I'm dying to see Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, starring Annette Bening. I just read that book based on another real-life memoir. Right, and she's going to actually do a talk there. That's right. Yep, yep. Jennifer Garner's going to be there, Julie yep. Andrews. It but looks more to be... importantly, the director... Mm-hmm. Oh, Rob Reiner. Uh, Rob Reiner's going to be that. there. I don't care if you come with me or not, I'm going. I can't wait <laughs> to see him and hear what he has to we've say. We've come full circle because I know you really like me too, right, Hollister? I love him, <laughs> and I think I just want to make sure that he's as cool as I think he is. He's certainly directed a lot of great movies. He has, he has, he has.